0: Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. My name is Andrew Saunders, and um, I just want to share with you who I actually represent, my family. I have a beautiful tribe of uh, eight kids. You can put that up there. Um, Started out with that beautiful one on the right, Elizabeth. I'm sorry, six kids, eight family. I I only have six kids, sorry. (laughs) Start out with my beautiful wife, Elizabeth, high school sweethearts. Uh, We've been married for 20 years, going on 21. And uh, we have six kids, four boys. You can see Malachi up there. He's um, just turned 20 today, actually. Um, Then we have Kaylee, who is, uh, let's see, I'm gonna put my my memory to test here. She's 18, um, almost 19. Then we have Brayden, who is 17. Then we have... um, Gracie, who's 14. Then we have Josiah, who is 12. And then we have Luke, who's, who is here with us today. He is eight years old. And uh, they're the joy of my life, and I'm proud to be a part of them. So that's the uh, Saunders tri- tri- tribe. We call ourselves the Crazy Eight. Um, and a little bit about my role for the Care's Fellowship. Um, my official title is the networking coordinator and uh, I serve a part of the Caris Fellowship, which is a part of a global movement of over 3,600 churches around the world. And uh, it's an amazing movement that you are a part of, thousands of churches around the world, and within the United States, we have 250 cares churches um, and national ministries, and um, it's just a great family to be a part of. Um, I've grown up in this family. I call it a, a family of churches, and that's how I, I met Scott. I have so many different friends throughout my entire life of being a part of it. So I have the joy of now serving full-time the CARES Fellowship as a networking coordinator. And what does that mean? Well, I'm still, still trying to figure that out. It's a brand new position um, as of six weeks, but my role is to connect one another within the CARES Fellowship, to work with pastors. I serve on the executive team, which... Um, runs five pastors retreats around the country every year um, along with our national conference in the summertime. And so I serve alongside uh, the executive director, which changes every three to four years. And then my teammates, so um, Scott's dad was the fellowship coordinator and it takes two people to replace him. So I'm one of those two people. Um, And my role is really to network and to build relationships among pastors among churches, making sure churches feel connected to the family of the Karis family. So that's a little bit about who I am. I would love just to pray with you. Would you pray with me today? Lord, uh, it's an honor to call you Father. It's an amazing miracle, Lord, for those of us who have been called into your family to be able to call you Abba, Daddy, and we acknowledge that it's only by your grace, it's only because you first loved us that we can do so. Lord, it's, it's wonderful to be um, gathered here this evening as brothers and sisters in your name, Jesus, to sing worship songs to you. And uh, Lord, we continue to commit this evening to you, asking that your spirit would fall fresh upon us, that you would renew our minds and our hearts this evening, and Father, um, I pray that you would speak through me and in spite of me uh, for your glory tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, well, I I can't being down here in Brunswick. This is the first time I've been to Brunswick, but it's only uh, a little bit far away from Leesburg. Anybody know what Leesburg? Right. It's like 25 minutes from here, I believe. And being this close to Leesburg, Leesburg had a significant uh, point in my life and my wife's life, and I have to share a story uh, with you. It just fell in with uh, the, the theme of the sermon that I'm gonna be sharing with you this evening. But it was about 18 years ago in 2003, I'm sorry, 2004, almost 18 years ago, Um, a couple months shy of that, that my wife and I traveled down to her brother's um, house, who lives in Leesburg, uh, for a one night, 24-hour stay over after Christmas. It was January, December 26th, and uh, we stayed over that evening, and in the middle of the night, my wife wakes me up and says, Andrew, I think my water broke. Now, my wife was only 23 weeks so this was not a good thing, and I was like, there's no way your water broke. You're, you're not due uh, for another six months, there's no way. She's like, no, seriously, my water broke. I, I honestly, I, I hate to admit it, but I didn't believe her. So she went and told her sister who was staying there, and she, she started freaking out, and they called um, 911. The ambulance came, took her to the hospital, and, uh, well, they called the doctor first, and the doctor said, how, long, how far along are you? And she said, "I'm um, 23 weeks long. He said, well, the baby's not viable, just go to the hospital, there's nothing we can do. Your baby's gonna be delivered and it'll probably die. We're like, whoa. Well, we went to the hospital, Loud- Loudoun County Hospital, and uh, we were there and they said, most likely your baby's going to, you're, you're gonna go into labor and you're gonna deliver the baby here within 24 hours and it will die. There's nothing we can do to save it at this, this stage. But there is a chance, if we put you on bed rest, that um, maybe the baby will stay in you and you won't go into to labor. And if we can keep you until you get to 24 weeks, there is a 40% chance that your baby can live. Although there is a high percentage that it will live with great um, difficulty and handicaps. Um, so we were devastated and we were at a point of extreme crisis. We had a 26-month-old and a nine-month-old at the time and um, about to have another baby um, very soon. Uh, we were crushed, we were crying, we were overwhelmed, and my wife stayed on bed rest, and um, the next day she didn't go into labor, she stayed again, and. There was no labor, and labor until she got to 24 weeks. Um, and at that point, they were able to transfer to, I Fairfax Hospital. And um, there they had a level four NICU. She made it just uh, to 24 weeks. They opened up a bed and said, okay, the baby's viable. We will take you into our NICU, our um, high-pregnancy unit, and high-risk pregnancy unit, and they did. And uh, within two days, uh, she got an infection, went into labor, and they had to take the baby um, by emergency C-section. And he was born one pound six ounces. And it's amazing because at this hospital, uh, the national average was 40% survival rate. This hospital, uh, they had a 90% survival rate for babies at 24 weeks. And he was born, you can show a picture, he's up there. Um, He was born, and we were like, is he going to live? Um, We don't know. If he makes it through the first 24 hours, um, then it's the next 48. And if he makes it through the next 48, then it's a 72. Then it's one week. And then if he makes it through one week, it's um, um, two weeks. And on and on it went. The odds were stacked against him. You can see there, like, his my ring would fit over his thigh um, bone. Uh, he was tiny. We weren't allowed to touch him uh, for two months, couldn't hold him. He was on a ventilator for four months. And meanwhile, like I said, uh, we were just down for 24-hour stay. We actually lived in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. I was a youth pastor at the Palmyra Grace Brethren Church up there at the time. We had a two-year-old. We had a, a nine-month-old, and life got completely turned upside down for us in a a moment. We were uh, struggling to say the least. Um, We didn't know if our baby was going to live and we also had a life up in Lebanon, Pennsylvania where I was a youth pastor and um, I had to go back to work and so we had to leave our baby, at the hospital in Virginia and and go home, and then we would come back on the weekends. The church would um, give me um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday off, and we could come down, stay in the Ronald McDonald house um, to be with him, and then we'd have to come back. And I can't imagine what it was like for my wife, who had to leave her baby, couldn't hold her baby in there. it was a moment of extreme stress, extreme anxiety. Not just a moment, it was a long season of that. And the fact, it impacted our marriage where we had a, a, ba- a nine month old um, and we had a, a two year old that we still had to take care of that were um, enough um, as it is and then we had a baby in the NICU several hours away from us while serving in the ministry as uh, a youth pastor. Extremely tough extremely challenging for our marriage. I didn't know if we were gonna make it. Um, We were only married, uh, what were we, three years? Three years in our marriage. And uh, I didn't think I was gonna make it in the ministry. I thought I was gonna have to quit. I thought we probably might get a divorce. It was really bad. Um, Extreme crisis. This evening I have a question for you. Have you or are you struggling to have complete faith um, in the midst of a crisis. Maybe you're not in the midst of a crisis like that with your baby in the hospital, wondering to know if it's going to live or not, or if he's going to have um, severe handicaps for the rest of his life. But maybe this evening you are in a place where you are in extreme conflict in a relationship. Maybe you're here, and financially you're in a crisis um, Maybe it's something with work. But my question for you and for myself is, are you struggling to have complete faith in the midst of the trial that you are living right now? Or have you in the past, right? I think we could all raise our hand, right, and say, yeah, I've, I've struggled to have complete faith in the midst of a trial or a crisis in my life. And the reality is, is that we're going to, as we, long as we live on this broken earth, we're going to move into another crisis at some point, another trial in our life. It's a part of living on this earth. And this evening, we're going to look at a man who was living in a crisis uh, of moments where he, too, was at a place where he was desperate beyond all measures. And actually, uh, it was having to do with his own son, the life in, in, uh, was the life of his son uh, was in jeopardy, and it's in John chapter 4. If you will turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4 on your phones or iPads, um, turn there. We're going. I'll read along here. You can read along with me. In John chapter 4, verses 46 through 48. It's the story of the royal official coming to Jesus, and he was in a crisis himself. Starting in verse 46, it says, Once more he visited Cana and Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. Speaking of Jesus here. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, he will never believe little uh, rebuke there from Jesus, from a man, and yet the royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies, go, Jesus replied, your son will live, the man took Jesus at his word and departed, and while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living, and when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. And this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So here we have a man, a Jewish man of royal uh, royalty. In desperation, in the midst of, a, of crisis, and his son is about to die, and he comes to Jesus in his desperateness. And the question I have, we have, we're going to look we're going to ask two questions. One this evening is is uh, what can we learn about the royal official, and then secondly, what can we learn um, about Jesus in this account of what of Jesus' second miracle in the book of John. So the first one, we see that we have a man in crisis. We have a man in crisis. This was a a royal man, most likely had a large estate, and he could have, we don't know exactly all about him, but he could have been related to King Herod of the time, but he was a man of great wealth. And yet we see that his son was sick, and I'm sure he took all measures up to this point to try to save his son, and nothing was working because he had the means to do so, and yet uh, his son was sick, and he was a man in deep crisis. And most men of his status would have sent a messenger, but he went himself. And uh, the, the distance between um, Capernaum and Cana where he was at uh, was at least 15 miles away. This was a significant walk. This was a day's journey. This was 18, um, eight hours away. It might be walking to Frederick. How many of you have walked to Frederick? Anybody? That's pretty far, right? Yeah, it's pretty far. To think about walking to Frederick or um, I think to Leesburg would be maybe about the same or um, Charlestown, West Virginia, about 15 miles either direction. Think about getting up and walking that distance to to meet Jesus. This was a significant task. This was taking time out of a whole day to go and find Jesus so that he could heal his son. You know, um, one one person said, The greatest men, when they come to God, must become beggars and as paupers. And we see that uh, in this royal official. He was a great man of status, and yet he was a place... At a beggar because, you know, sickness um, is not partial to anyone, even the rich. And I've, all, I've all th- often thought about that. Even the billionaires who get sick with cancer can't do anything to cure themselves, even though they have all the money in the world. I'm, I've always thought about that, about Steve Jobs, who was a man of great creativity and status and wealth in our world and yet could not can't beat cancer. And here we have the Royal Fisher official looking and seeing that his son is about to die. Secondly, we see that the man is of partial faith. You see he, wanted to see, he wanted Jesus to see a miracle, and Jesus rebukes him. He believed that Jesus would travel all the way because of his status. He thought, you know what? Jesus will come. He will travel the next 15 miles to be with my son and do a miracle to save him because he heard that Jesus had done other miracles. And he prescribed to Jesus on how he would heal his son. He, He imagined, prescribed that Jesus had to travel with him back to where his son was and he believed that Jesus had to be present in order to heal his son and also he believed that Jesus couldn't have raised him from the dead. So we see that the, the official here has prescribed on how Jesus should be healing his son. And you know, how often do we do this in our prayers and our relationship with God? How often do we prescribe to God on the what, when, and how he needs to work in our life in the midst of a crisis or trials? We have it all built up in our head. You know what? If only you would do this, God, then it would be all better. Oh, if only you would take this person out of my life, then my life would be easier. And we can get real angry when it's not going our way, right? We can get extremely angry at times when we aren't seeing things work out the way we want them to be. I can remember a time when uh, one of my kids was not following the Lord, and it was extremely frustrating Extremely hard to watch him walk in disobedience time after time, and I can, get, I can remember getting extremely angry at him. Why he wouldn't listen to his mom and I and obey. Angry at him because he just wouldn't listen. And I began getting angry at God that God wouldn't change his hearts. But it wasn't up to me, it was up to God and the way that he was working. And in that moment of anger, I remember coming to a verse, Isaiah 30, verse 15. He says, this is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. You see, it's in repentance and rest is our salvation. Time of rest, not being angry and fighting, but out of rest and repentance. In quietness, not arguing. And trusting is where we find our strength. Well, the third thing we see about this man is that he was a man with faith and obedience in the word of Christ. You see, there had to be a moment of crisis on his behalf because Jesus said, now go. Now he could have stood there and thought and argued with Jesus. No, Jesus, I have, you need to come with me. My son is on his deathbed, do you realize this? He was in a moment of crisis and yet, he believed. He did believe. He believed and he obeyed. And he went on his way and followed what Jesus told him to do. He chose to believe the word of Christ and witness the wonder of his son's physical healing. And all his family believed. We see the son, God do an amazing work in the life of this royal official. So what can we learn from the life of Jesus in this story? What is it that we can learn from him? Well, first we see that crisis is God's instrument in bringing people to himself. We have the royal official in the midst of a crisis in his life to the point where his son is about to die and it drives the royal official to go a day's journey to find this Jesus guy because maybe he was somebody who could fix the problem in his life, who could rescue his son. Jesus did not turn the royal official way. He wanted to turn the man's desire for physical healing, healing into a spiritual direction in the right way. See, Jesus understood that it was where his heart was at. It was a matter of belief, and that is what Jesus wanted to deal with in the man's life. So oftentimes we see that God uses difficult times in your life and my life to draw us to himself, to bring us back to himself, to mature us. All throughout scripture we see that. I'll just read three passages here that talk about trials and tribulations in the midst of our lives and the purpose of them and how God uses them in our lives. James 1 says, "...consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything." Hebrews 12 says this, "...endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons, for what son is not disciplined by his father?" Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained up by it. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5, it says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, a perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. This evening, are you in the midst of a trial? I want to remind you that God is using this time in your life to draw him to yourself to draw you, I'm sorry, to draw you to himself. God wants to use this to build perseverance, to build up your faith so that you may be mature, that you would, would become a more disciple of Jesus, more devoted disciple of Jesus. You see, Christ's method is to work upon us and then work for us. First, he wants to work on our hearts before he works for us. And this is uncomfortable grace. There's an author and counselor and pastor, Paul Tripp, says this, and I love the way he coins this term, uncomfortable grace. God will take you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. I'll say that again. God will take you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. See, oftentimes we would never go through that trial. I would, my wife and I would never go through the trial of having a baby born at 24 weeks. We, who would have chosen that? Nobody in this room, right? But God choose that for us in order to do a work in us, to mature us, to grow us, to teach us perseverance and, and build our faith. It's uncomfortable grace. It's actually a gift in our lives because in that moment it draws us closer to God. It causes us to look up, to look off of, of our circumstances and to look up to Him and to say, God, help me. I need you. It can be challenging at times, but we know that in those midst, God is doing some of his greatest work in your life and in my life. Secondly, we see that God will confront our unbelief. When the royal official comes to him, Jesus is a little bit firm, isn't he? He, in fact, rebukes him. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe because he understands the Jewish people wanted to see signs and wonders. That's what they were about, and he saw this in the royal official's hearts. He saw that the royal official was looking for something to see instead of believe. And so often God will confront our unbelief. He'll draw us to the place to show us what we are believing of instead of him that we believe this is what is most important in our life instead of him being the most important in our life. Jesus confronts our sin of doubts. God, I don't believe that you can do this. I don't believe that this will ever get better. Scriptures warn against those who only believe if they see a miracle. And 2 Thessalonians, we see that even Satan uses miracles. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth, and so be saved. You see, even Satan... And his demons can do miraculous signs and wonders in order to draw a crowd. And that's what we all want. We want to be able to see something, and then we will believe it. I want to see a miracle, then I will believe it. And Jesus says, no. First, I want you to believe in me, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus control, confronts our arrogant attempts to control him and prescribing him what he can do and what he cannot do. You see, the royal official believed that, you know what, you have to come with me and see my son and heal him. And obviously, you cannot raise him from the dead if he dies, right? He was prescribing to God what he could not do. And how often do we prescribe to God? There's no way that you can do that. Or there's, you have to do it this way in order for it to work. And God often confronts our arrogance and our pride. He confronts our fears and the what ifs, all those what ifs. Well, what if this happens, God? What if that happens? He confronts us and says, no, I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, the royal official took the approach that if you cure the fever, you'll cure my son. And Jesus took the approach of heal your soul and then I'll heal your son. I'll cure your unbelief, and then I'll cure the fever of your son. And thirdly, we see about Jesus that he will complete our faith when we trust and obey him. See, Christ healed with ease. Nothing said, nothing done, nothing ordered. He just said, go. And in the midst of that, his son had been healed. It was by his word, the power of his word. The word is foundational in the work of salvation as it works throughout all of creation. Everything outside of us originates in the word of God, and so does everything inside of us originates by the word of God. John 1 says, "In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning." Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is Jesus, the Word, the light. You know, it's so often. It's it's obviously it was difficult for the royal official, and it's difficult for us to believe that distance, time, and place is no obstruction for Jesus Christ. He's outside of time and distance. Christ is omniscient. He is omnipotent. Nothing is impossible for him. And so, oftentimes, God completes our faith. He shows us and and gives us hope that we can have patience to persevere in the midst of the crisis and trial. Notice when uh, the son was healed, and notice when the royal official found out. It wasn't until the next day, right? He said, it was yesterday at the same time that Jesus said he is healed, you see, the royal official stayed the night and then got up and left the next day to go back home. He believed and was at rest and had insurance and was patient and believed that what Jesus said was true. Patience, I believe, is an amazing virtue and character trait of those who follow Jesus Christ. Those who follow Jesus Christ have this virtue of patience because it is so attractive in the midst of a chaotic world in which we live. A chaotic world in which we live that has an anxious, forced lifestyle to control everything in the midst, in the midst of this uh, crazy epidemic, pandemic world in which we've been living in the last two years. Someone who has patience, someone who is at rest, someone who lives without anxiety in their life, is so attractive. And I believe that is what God does in our life when we come to him in faith and trust in him. So just in closing this evening, we see that the royal official was a man with a crisis. And he came to Jesus with partial faith and was confronted by Jesus with his partial faith And he had to choose to believe in the person, the word of Jesus, and then go and obey. And through this, we see that God uses crisis as an instrument in our lives to draw us to himself, to cure the unbelief within us so that we may walk in truth of his word. And we see that Jesus' word is as good as his presence Jesus didn't have to be there with his son in order to heal him. His word was enough. And this evening, I want to remind you that Jesus' word is enough. It is all-powerful to change lives, to change circumstances in you. So may we lay our problems down. May we listen and trust in Jesus as we saw here tonight. And this evening, I want to call you to to cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Come to him because if you are weary and heavy burdened, he will give you rest as he promises. So whatever trial or crisis you may be in or coming into this week, I encourage you to lay your unbelief at the cross, to repent of it, to believe Jesus' word, because it's as good as his presence in your life. And just uh, to finish the story, uh, our son, um, Brayden Theodore, which means um, out of the valley a gift of God, um, continued to beat all odds by the grace of God. And he um, came home from the hospital after being in the hospital for five months He had eight medications, was on a heart monitor, on oxygen, had multiple therapists, and um, um, continued to grow and become a a, a fine, strong young man. You wouldn't know it by looking at him. You can show a picture um, of him right there. But uh, he's 17, almost 18 now, and we praise God for his uh, work and miraculous work in his life. and. We're so thankful that God um, healed him and um, is growing him in his faith um, as we speak. Um, So would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Lord, uh, we come before you this evening acknowledging that, uh, Lord, we often struggle to have complete faith in you. Especially when crisis and trials come into our life, Lord, it's hard to keep our eyes upon you. When the waves of the storm seem to rise up and to crash around us, Lord, forgive us for our unbelief. Lord, help us to believe. I pray for anyone here this evening, who's going through a trial, Lord, I pray that your grace would be upon them, that they would humbly look up to you to cry out, Lord, and that you would meet them, that you would restore their faith, and that you would give them hope for today. Lord, thank you for just your work, Lord, in Um, The word of God, as we see your work some 2,000 years ago as you walked this earth and doing uh, miraculous signs and wonders, Lord, we still believe that you are at work today doing miraculous signs and wonders in our life. And God, uh, we pray that you would increase our faith to walk in faith and not by sights. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.